Oh, that we may find wisdom from God's Word to know how to live in this world in which there are weeds and wheat and with ourselves in which there is wheat and there are weeds. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. And to find that wisdom, we return to Paul's letter to the Romans. We're in this gorgeous, delightful, delicious section in Paul's letter in which he is unpacking for us the significance of our belonging to the new exodus that God has accomplished through Christ. we, we saw in chapter 3 the redemption price that has been paid. Chapter 4, the empty hands of faith that we extend. The, the overture at the beginning of chapter 5 about how Christ's Passover sacrifice has justified us. The Exodus journey he is taking us on is sanctifying us. And all this in advance of sin's final removal, we are able to resist I'm sorry, uh, and the journey to the promised land that will end in our glorification. Then at the end of chapter 5, the signal recalling Adam that what's happening isn't just for a little group of people, it's for the whole world. Then chapter 6, at the beginning, the reminder that because our baptism has brought us into the Exodus story out of Egypt into the journey to the promised land. Now sin has been reined in, and in advance of sin's final removal, we're able to resist its power. Then at the end of chapter 6, some, some thoughts about the need to make wise decisions in the wilderness. Not to go our own way, but to continue to follow the one who began the journey. Chapter 7, we, we have this strong acknowledgement that While the law shows us God's character, which is good, and by the way, is the pattern of life which will characterize us in the end, for now the law torments us by showing us just how far we actually are from God's design. And here in chapter 8, there's this great finale. Just as God's glory cloud, the Shekinah, did finally get Israel to the promised land, so now, eventually, the Holy Spirit dwelling now not just in front of us, not just to the side and to the rear, but now inside, inside us and among us, God's people will finally get home to the glory that our loving Father has for us. And In today's portion, we need to ponder some some seeming contradictory things that Paul says about the Spirit. On the one hand, the Spirit does this comforting, encouraging work to enable us to cry, Abba, Father. On the other hand, the Spirit creates in us this real discontent with the way that things are. And he's pointing us to uh, wisdom. Now, I'm sure that I've mentioned in the past that I've learned most of what I need to know about people from Walt Disney's version of Winnie the Pooh and his friends in the Hundred Acre Wood. I may have mentioned that 
one of the characters I identify most with is Owl. Owl tries to bring, he tries to bring wisdom to every situation. Like the time he observes that Pooh has gotten himself somehow stuck in Rabbit's door. Owl, I say, are you stuck? Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> so Winnie. No, just resting <laughs> and thinking and humming to myself. Owl, uh, you, sir, are stuck. A wedged bear in a great tightness. In a word, irremovable. Well, and then the whole troop under, undertakes to reverse Pooh's irremovability. And Gopher opines, well, the first thing to be done is to get rid of that bear. He's gumming up the whole project. To which Al responds sagely, dash it all, he is the project. Well, the, the Apostle Paul is not unlike Owl, seeking to bring wisdom to every situation, including Rome, including our lives. Toward the end of this epistle, Paul says, I want you, I want you, at the end of all this teaching, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. Now, it's the business of wisdom to know when one truth applies and when its seeming opposite applies. Just as the great song says, every gambler knows that the secret to surviving is knowing what to throw away and knowing what to keep. Because every hand's a winner and every hand's a loser. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. In biblical terms, it's knowing when the logic of the book of Proverbs applies. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and so the way of the lazy is overgrown with thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. And when the logic of the book of Ecclesiastes applies, like I considered all my hands had done, and the toil I had spent in doing it all was vanity and a chasing after wind. Or when Jesus says, the one who's not for me is against me, and then turns around and says, the one who's not against me is for me. Like, what's going on? Well, it, take, it takes wisdom to know what's being said when and why and what I'm supposed to apply at any given moment. In today's epistle, Paul says two things about us that sound like they're in conflict, but they're both true and importantly so. The Spirit delights and the Spirit creates dissatisfaction. The Spirit delights and the Spirit disturbs. In verse 15 of our, of our passage today, Paul wishes to encourage us by telling us, you've received a spirit of adoption. You're not alone anymore. And so we cry, Abba, Father. Christ died and received the spirit so that God's personal presence could come into us and speak to us in our aloneness that we're not really alone, that we have a father who really loves us. It was in the wilderness that Israel came to know itself as God's firstborn. God took them out of slavery 
and into the wilderness so that they would come to know he loved them intimately. Israel is my son, my firstborn out of Egypt. I called my son. And it is in the desolation of the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus comes to know the intimacy of his Abba, Father, even in the Father's no, this cup cannot pass from you. There is where Jesus expresses his tenderest affection for his Father. He goes to the cross because he knows his Father loves him. And so he goes to the cross, not just to bear the penalty of sin, thanks be to God he did, but in doing so to gain access to God, intimacy for us with our Heavenly Father, union with Himself and the Spirit's on-board presence. Think of it this way. Because of Christ, the judge who is on the bench in his judging robes, the judge has not just declared us innocent and sent us on our merry way. The judge has taken off his robes and come from behind the bench. He's put his arm around us and said, I want you to come home with me. I want you to take my name and to inherit my estate. To this point, you've only known me as a frowning judge and a distant master. But now, I want you to call me Abba, Papa, Father. And I want to be there for you. I want you at my table. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. I don't want you ever to wonder about who you are or whether you are worth saving. I love you, and I want to pour that love into your heart. And I can only do that if you'll come home with me. What Paul would have us know is there's no slavery here. There's no obedience out of compulsion. There's following, but there's like, hey, Dad, where you are, that's where I want to be. There's no fear here, no obedience out of fear of punishment. This is what the Holy Spirit does in you and me to bear witness with our spirit that we are really his. But then there's the second thing that the spirit does, and that is to create a sense of discontent. Because no matter how much we tell ourselves that our Father really loves us, there are those times, whether it's been prompted by somebody's slight, 
whether it's just been a bad day, whether we feel like we've messed up and how could anybody like us, or whether we're just tired, we'll wake up in the middle of the night and feel just crushingly alone. And it's like we feel the whole weight of the world. Well, you know what? That's part of the deal. The Holy Spirit even gives you that sense of, I'm not home yet. Look what Paul says down in verse 23. We groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We've been given the spirit of adoption, so we cry out, Abba, Father, in a delighted way. But at the same time, we know that our full adoption isn't done until we've been glorified, until he comes back and we receive new bodies and the world has been made new. And everything, is, everything has been made right again. And until that happens, we ache within and that ache is good. Sorry. That ache is good. Embrace it. Be thankful for it. Be thankful that you just don't, who cares? The fact that you and I wake up in the middle of the night and say, life just weighs too much. It all hurts too much. That's good news. That's the Spirit who does that, the very same Spirit that lets you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit creates dissatisfaction as well as delight because we groan inwardly while we wait for our adoption. Now, for a few minutes, I have to channel Bishop N.T. Wright. The Bible's storyline, you have to understand, is about a creation that's good but incomplete. Verse 19 says that creation is on tiptoe. This is a wonderful Greek word. It's apokaradokia. It's from the head, like looking, thinking. And the, the whole creation is credited with like looking on, out on the horizon to see where are we going. And you know what the creation is waiting for? The revelation of the children of God. Adam and Eve named the animals and were charged with the ordering and the nurturing and protecting of creation. And according to the Bible, the healing of creation awaits the healing of men and women. It's a, the story is about a creation that's good, but at, at present is in bondage while it waits. The glory intended for the first humans was to govern the world with a wisdom And everything was supposed to work together well. The result of the first rebellion was the invasion, the intrusion of corruption, decay, death, and the word that Paul uses here, futility. The same word that, is, that the Greek translators used in the book of Ecclesiastes when they got to vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Stuff that works doesn't work. So according to the Bible, as Wright elegantly puts it, as by humans came futility, so by humans shall come freedom. And a creation that is good, but groaning with the birth pains of the future world that will come is what we see around us. Paul sees the world in pain. 
itself witness to the folly of the human race from our use of every technology we've ever created to do as much harm as good. I don't know what your junk box looks like, but I, it's full of spam. These machines are supposed to help us communicate. And, well, at any rate, special place in Dante's hell. <laughs> Making swords into plowshares. From all that to our inattention to God's provision, that creation itself be allowed a rhythm of production and rest. Because we run life at 100 miles an hour, 24-7, 365.25. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a quarter days allowing for leap year. The good news, the good news is that God has placed within you and me a dissatisfaction with the reigning folly, futility, and vanity. What came alive in you and me when we discovered Christ, his victory over sin and death and destruction, that's the the true future of the planet. What began in him in the darkness of the tomb on Easter Sunday night and has spread to us in our rebirth by the Spirit at our salvation and conversion, that will one day be the glory that covers the earth from sea to shining sea, from pole to pole. In the meantime, he has placed within us what he calls the first fruits of that new reality. In your own self, you have come to see the beginnings, and it makes you long for the completion. I better see it in terms of an engagement ring. You know, until there's an engagement ring, and this is really why the song Put a Ring on It works, and until there's an engagement ring, there's always a question about where this relationship is going. Once the ring is on, there's a promise of a wedding night. And once that, once that hope has been born, the hope of the wedding night, the hardest thing in the world is to exercise patience. Am I right? You know I'm right. Here's Paul's message to us. The Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring. It's his promise that there's going to be a wedding night, and it's going to be amazing. Fireworks. In the meantime, it hurts so much to live in a messed up world because we know better. We know this isn't what we were made for. We know this isn't what the world was made for. And in Jesus and in what he is doing in us, a great exodus out of the Egypt of the whole world's enslavement to sin and decay and corruption and futility has begun. And in the meantime, wisdom. Rest in the spirit of adoption that you have received. Your heavenly Father loves you and loves for you to call him Papa. And don't despair at the middle of the night realization that you're not really home. Grieve at the world's and all of humanity's ongoing birth pains, but know that they are but birth pains. And entertain the prospect that you are still here 
because somebody else needs the hope that you can offer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.